Any of you art lovers, do you recognize the name Mark Landis? Maybe. He is a very talented American painter. He lives in Laurel, Mississippi. And he's also a fraud. He is best known for donating large numbers of forged paintings and drawings to American art museums. He did it for many years, was finally exposed back in 2008. Just Google his name. This is a fascinating story. But when he would contact museums, he would use aliases, sometimes even dressed like a Jesuit priest. And with his, you know, robes and, and, and with his odd demeanor, and they say he has a near encyclopedic knowledge of art history, he could easily come across as an eccentric art collector. And so the story that I read said that his skills with a pencil or a paintbrush are just phenomenal. He would study the print of an original work, and then with meticulous attention to detail, he would copy exactly what he saw. And his recreations in the style of some of the old masters, they say, are just astonishing. And so are his tools, which include things like magic markers and pens and Walmart frames. More than 45 museums were duped by this guy. And not only were his fakes convincing, but he also knew exactly what to say when he met the the director of the museum, the one in charge of, you know, admitting the artwork. As one museum director explains, Landis would imply he had more paintings that he might donate and possible endowments from the family's estate. The museum director admits he knew right where to hit us, our soft spot, art and money. He's been diagnosed as a schizophrenic and he's been living like a hermit since his mother died in 2010 And he expresses no remorse for his years of deception. Instead, listen to what he says. I've gotten to make an awful lot of friends and talk to an awful lot of glamorous, sophisticated people. It gave me something to live for. Google Mark Landis. Fascinating story. And it's about this point that you're wondering, what on earth does that have to do with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6? I wouldn't blame you if you're thinking that. It's a fair question. But as I, as I read this story about Landis, I, I, I was impressed with his ability to deceive people. People in the know. I mean, art connoisseurs were duped by this guy all over the country for decades Many museums were taken in. He was a master of deceit. One report that I read said that he did it for over 30 years. This guy's an expert in deceit. And I think that our study this morning involves concern about deceit, or at least it needs to involve concern about deceit. We'll get there. Um, When we read the prayer earlier together, uh, we read these words, lead us not into temptation. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Sunday school teacher once asked her class of five-year-olds if anyone could recite the Lord's Prayer. One little boy raised his hand and started into it. She said he did pretty well till he got to this line where he said, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from email. (laughs) 
You ever feel that way? I thought, oh man, that is right on. That is a great prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's the fifth petition in this prayer that Jesus taught us. Uh, Let's just say it together. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One more time. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes. Okay, so with that petition in our prayer in mind, let's, let's stand and read this morning. And we're going to read from James chapter 1. Let's stand together. Uh, important text for us as we consider what I think is some of the, the, the nuance in our, our petition this morning. Here we go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. My sisters and my brothers in the Lord, this is his word for us. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So, how about those words, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Definition of temptation, the act of tempting or the state of being tempted, especially to evil, an enticement. That's certainly consistent with James' expression, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, yet Jesus instructs us to ask our Heavenly Father, to petition our Heavenly Father, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, Don, can we put those two questions up? I want you to wrestle just a little bit with the neighbor. If temptation is an enticement to do evil, and we know that God wants nothing to do with evil, why does Jesus instruct us to ask the Father to not lead us into temptation? Are we asking him not to do something that he wouldn't do anyway? It's a fair question. It's one that all the commentators have been wrestling with for centuries. 
Yeah, it's hard on the brain. But you'll be relieved to know that I have a crystal clear answer that will just clear the fog of centuries of confusion. And if you believe that, yeah. Go ahead, ask your neighbor. Wrestle with those questions just a little bit. What do you think? All right, are we ready? Ready to share a little bit of the, uh, the nuggets, the gems that came from your neighbor? Okay. Did you hear that last comment? Is that loud enough for you to hear back there? Jesus knows our frail human hearts. He knows that he faced temptation. Um, he knows that we will, will struggle in, in that battle. Others. Boy, look at those hands just flying up out there. Translation error. Those scribes should have caught that centuries ago. What's the matter with those people? Anyone else? Well, here we go. You know, I have to admit it was a bit of a trick question. But I think it is important to, to wrestle with this because there is a, there's a nuance in the language that probably Jesus followers would have picked up and uh, and I'll explain that in, in just a sec but but honestly it, this this is this is a difficult one to to put together it's it's far less clear than than last week's petition about forgiveness now that one is just pretty much straightforward we've said all along in this series that that this is an invitation from Jesus to enter into a relationship of of intimate prayer great intimacy with with our heavenly father no one knows and understands the Father better than Jesus. And so we want to pay close attention to what Jesus has to say about this relationship of intimacy that we're invited into. Lee mentioned the temptation of Jesus earlier, just a couple chapters earlier, chapter 4. Actually, the end of chapter 3, you recall Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water and heard the voice of the Father the blessing, the approval of the Father. This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. And then Matthew writes, right at the beginning of chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And then, it's almost as if Matthew wants to remove any doubt regarding who he's referring to. So he records that after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, Jesus was hungry, and he says, the tempter came to him, the tempter came to him in the midst of that uh, that tremendous, tremendous struggle and sacrifice. Uh, Forty days of fasting. Okay, so I think that there's something important going on in the prayer that we don't necessarily pick up. The word that Jesus uses for temptation in this prayer is the same word that James uses for both temptation and trial in our James text. It's the same word throughout the New Testament writings. The word for temptation, the word for trial, the word for testing, one word. It is the same word. And it's a neutral word that can be positive or it can be negative, uh, depending on his context. It's used positively by James in verse 2, as we read, consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. It's a good thing, James says, 
when you encounter these because you know that your faith is growing. Perseverance has to have its, uh, its complete work. It's a good thing when God brings those trials and tests into our lives in order to grow us and refine and mature us. In its negative use, it means what we typically associate with, with the word temptation. That it's an enticement to do wrong, to do evil, which is exactly how James means it in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So, so trials and tests are for our growth as the children of God, and temptations enter into the equation to distract us from what God wants to do in us through those trials and tests. We, we are enticed to something else. So what is Jesus teaching us to pray in those words, do not lead us into temptation? Well, we know he's not talking about trials and tests. Though the word could be translated trials and tests, Scripture is clear. We've seen in James, Peter talks about it. Trials and tests come to produce perseverance, to purify our faith, to, to make us complete. James says, not lacking anything. Jesus would know that. But let me ask you a question. In the same way that, that Jesus would know that to be true, who else might know that? Say it louder. Satan would know that. It's, it's easy for us, and we don't want to, it's easy for us to forget that this prayer is the prayer of the children of God. We've, we've said numbers of times what an awesome privilege this is, that Jesus is suggesting that, that, uh, that we come into the presence of God and, and, and remove that, that fear, come into his presence as his children, Abba, Papa. As his children, we have automatically placed ourselves in opposition to the powers of darkness. And we've talked about that as we began the series early on. That's what the church is about. The church is that, that organization in the world, that organism in the world, if you will, that is banging down the gates of hell, the gates of hell that are holding others captive who, who have not experienced the love and the grace of God. We can't for a minute forget that the enemy wants desperately to undo the work of the church or to thwart the work of the church. The enemy of God. You can count on the enemy of God showing up in every circumstance that presents itself to both the individual child of God for growth and maturity, as well as for the church, as the church has opportunity to, to break down barriers that hold people captive. Satan shows up. <clears throat> and, and what does Satan want? You know, I've said this before, I don't think Satan cares a whole lot about us. The truth is, I don't think he gives a hoot about us. But he has such animosity toward God. 
And those who bear the name children of God are those who are the targets of his attack. Because when he can cause us to fall, when he can cause us to to stumble, and, and what does that look like mainly? I think, frankly, I think it is, a, it is a yielding to temptation because when we yield to temptation, we are, in a sense, saying to God, you are not enough. You are insufficient for what I need in my life. Satan wants nothing more than to be able to throw that back in the face of God and say, see, they're not worth it after all. I think that's a big piece of what is at the heart of of temptation. Shows up early on in the scriptures. You know the story. God plants a tree in the garden, gives rules to Adam and Eve regarding that tree. It's a test of their hearts to find God sufficient and a God of his word who shows up to tempt them. The enemy. Did God really say The story of Job. We see the spiritual warfare in chapters 1 and 2. The pattern is so clear. Job is a, is a godly man. And he's seeking to honor God in all that he does. In fact, he, he even offers sacrifices for his children because he's concerned that maybe they aren't honoring God in the way that they should. And Satan shows up, devastates his life because he wants Job to deny the goodness of God. But Job didn't fall for the bait. He didn't recognize that only the blessings of prosperity and abundance in my life are blessings from God. Should we expect only good from God and not trouble, he said to his wife. And we've already mentioned Jesus in the wilderness led there to be tested, I think, would be the better interpretation of the word. It turned right into a temptation. Same word. Enemy is there. Wanting Jesus to do what? Well, for just three separate instances, take matters into your own hands. You're hungry for pity's sake. You've been without food for 40 days. Turn these stones into bread. Go jump off the temple. Announce yourself as the Messiah that we know you to be impress people, just, just fall down and, and worship me for a few minutes and, and, and we'll call this spiritual battle done with. Just a few moments of independence from the will of his Father. That's all Satan wanted. That's evil. That is evil. Deliver us from the evil one. It occurred to me this week, I think of evil in big categories. Perhaps you can relate. I think of what ISIS is doing in the world. That's evil. That is evil. I think of what happens to millions of unborn babies. That is evil. Child molesters? They're evil. Sex trafficking? That is evil. But here's the thing. 
all of those grandiose evils that I put into those large categories in my mind of what evil is, they started with smaller evils. And those smaller evils, they started with even smaller evils. And at the core of what evil is, bottom line, it's the human heart that rejects the truth of God and chooses to live for self. But I'm more comfortable with those bigger evils because I don't like to think of those times when I reject God in my life and live in disobedience, which is sin, which is evil. Does that make sense? You with me? Sin is disregard of God. Sin is evil. And quite honestly, I am a party to evil every day in many ways. Every time I disobey what God has called me to do as His child, I do evil. Anytime I choose to take matters into my own hands and live, even for a moment, as if God and His truth don't matter, I have exalted myself and I live for myself. I am party to evil. The evil one has whispered into my ear and I have listened. And as crazy as this sounds, brothers and sisters, I think the key to understanding what Jesus is teaching us to pray here is found really in the double meaning of the same word that the New Testament writers use for trials and temptations. What's the difference between them? Not much at all. The difference between a trial and a temptation is the response of my heart to the trial. God brings events and people and circumstances into my life and Satan will use every opportunity to tempt me to sin in my response to those things. Count on it. What God intends for good, Satan seeks to co-opt for evil. To get God's people to doubt the goodness of their Heavenly Father. To doubt His faithfulness. To doubt His Word. To lead us to anger and impatience. And to take matters into our own hands. Because He's not doing things the way that we think He should. Thinking of last week's lesson. To withhold forgiveness from someone because they have hurt us too deeply to take pride in ourselves for accomplishments, even those accomplishments done in the name of Christ. On and on and on and on, the list goes of things that are evil. And I think we're easily deceived if we categorize temptations as only the big things, whatever those things are in our minds. You see, I think the distance between a trial and a temptation is not very far. Jesus knew that. I think that is what is behind this prayer. The follower of Jesus has become a child of Abba. And Abba, in his love for his children, is interested in perfecting their faith so that they will live with abandon to self. That is the ultimate prison 
That is the definition of original sin. Rejection of God living for self. Jesus knew that. And so for those who were his followers, they are then, they, they then become the children of God. And they are those who have the Spirit of God living within them in those places where testing and temptation are pretty much two sides of the same coin. The distance between the two is about as far as the synapses in our brains that cause us to think and respond to the stuff of life in ways that leave God out of it. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week, and it's just exploded in my mind. He was telling me about a buddy of his who, about a year ago, was offered a job from an organization headquartered in D.C., and this guy said, I live in Colorado, you know. My, my wife and my kids are here. I don't want to go to D.C. And this organization wanted him so badly, they said, well, you know, here's the deal. We'll give you a six-figure income, and we will pay for an apartment for you to live in D.C. You know, work three or four days for us, and then spend your weekends at home with your family. Can you feel the tug of that? So what did he do? He called his pastor, my friend. Called some of the other brothers in the faith. Said, what do you guys think? Pray with me. Help me discern here. This seems like an amazing blessing because you know the struggles that my family and I have been having and all of a sudden, this just plops into my lap. And so they prayed. And they sought the Lord together. They came back and they said unanimously, I don't think you ought to do this. And he listened. And he didn't do it. And he would stand here today, because this is what he told my pastor friend, and say, that was an incredible test. And our lives have been an unbelievable blessing in this year because I said no. Even blessings, even blessings are tests that need to be looked at closely and examined for the potential damage that exists if our hearts are drawn to them for the wrong reasons. You know, one of the things that comes from reading the commentaries on this text, it's pretty clear, despite the differences, trying to understand the particulars of the language and, 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 and the structure of the language, there is widespread agreement that it's essentially a request for spiritual protection. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. In Jesus' final prayer, you remember John 17, he was praying for his immediate followers and then he was praying for those who would come generations after his immediate followers. He asked his Father to protect them from the evil one while they lived in this world. Well, of course he did. Without protection from the evil one, we are just sitting ducks. His protection and His wisdom and His discernment. And my brothers and sisters, if we are not constantly on our guard as the people of God, we will find ourselves buying into the lies of the enemy in oh-so-subtle ways. 
And that is the evil that we need to be protected from. I read the most fascinating story this week about the Lincoln Memorial back in the 80s. Maybe some of you remember reading about this. The National Park Service noticed that it was slowly crumbling and deteriorating. Why? Well, part of the problem was from water, both rainwater and cleaning water. Park Service crews were giving the great marble statue of Abraham Lincoln and adjacent walls and floors a daily scrubbing, according to the Associated Press. But why were they cleaning the Lincoln Memorial so often? Because of the huge mess left each day by sparrows and starlings, pooping all over the thing. But why were so many sparrows and starlings attracted to the Lincoln Memorial? Well, because they were drawn there by the spiders. But why were there so many spiders making their home on the Lincoln Memorial? Because of the midges. Small, very small, little winged insects that breed in the muddy flats of the nearby Potomac River. And the midges, if you've been to the memorial, you know that it's, it's spotlighted, big, bright lights making it look so beautiful at night. The midges swarm into the air at dusk for mating. And when they did, they were drawn to the huge lights that illuminate the memorial. The midges would smash themselves into limestone walls, and their protein remains drew the spiders which drew the sparrows and the starlings, which caused the poop, which caused the park service crews to clean every day, which brought extra water, which caused erosion. Did you get all that? Why was the Lincoln Memorial eroding? Because of the tiny midge. But, said this writer, you wouldn't find that out until you asked why four times. Brothers and sisters... That is where we need to be in our understanding, I think, of this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. I think it's in this petition, he's reminding us that as his followers, we are called to be led by his spirit, to live a life of personal surrender, as Jesus the Son modeled for us, to live for the glory of our Father who has called us into his eternal family. And yes, the Father, because of His interest in our maturity and our growth that will lead to greater glory for Him, will lead us into hard places. Trials that in the blink of an eye can be a temptation if we're not asking ourselves, why? What's going on here? If we are not seeking His discernment when we pray, lead us not in temptation, we are admitting how easily we stray, how quickly we listen to the wrong messages, how concern for self is our highest value whether we recognize it or not, how quickly we complain about difficulties and think we deserve better, and how our best moments of desiring to make life about God, they're quickly sabotaged. And so we follow this request with, deliver us from evil asking our Heavenly Father to do that which we desperately need on a daily, even hourly basis. Needing His wisdom to believe what He has done for us and who He is to us versus the garbage that the enemy wants us to believe.
about our God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, you who are in heaven, you whose name is holy, whose character is perfect beyond our understanding. Father, you whose will is done gladly by the citizens of the kingdom of God in heaven, we long for that to be true in our experience here on this earth. Starting with us and our hearts, that we would be glad recipients of citizenship in your kingdom forever, and that our hearts would long to do your will for your glory, whatever the cost, whatever the sake, both in our lives and the lives of others. And our Father, we, we trust you to give us what we need for each day. The challenges that, that come our way. You are our provider. You have promised to do so. We do not want to live lives as the pagans who run around seeking after the stuff of life that doesn't matter. So we trust you and ask you to provide just what we need for today. Tomorrow we'll ask you again and the next day we'll ask you the same thing. Needing just enough for each day. Father, we ask that you would forgive us in the same way that we extend forgiveness to others and that, you know, can scare us to death when we really think about it. And so we ask, that your spirit who lives in each of your children will remind us of how amazing and undeserved your forgiveness comes to us. We who were your enemies, we who committed treason against the Almighty, you, you have forgiven us because of the sacrifice of your Son. So may your forgiveness flow into our lives as your forgiveness flows out of our lives into the lives of others. And our Father, as we live on this broken, fallen earth, filled with evil, large and small, and everything in between, we ask that as you lead us in our walk daily as your children, that we will be discerning, that we will recognize that there is just a breath between a trial and a temptation. Father, may we take the enemy's hatred of You seriously. May we remember that He doesn't care about us. You care about us. And we ask that you will deliver us from committing evil in thought, in word, in actions that gives the enemy who hates you opportunity to mock your glorious name. For your sake, 
for it is all about you. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord.